passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. We're going to be going through uh, 2 Timothy this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7 this morning. As you're doing that, I want to... um, just kind of remind you of the context of, of this book so far. The Apostle Paul, remember he's nearing the end of his life at this point. He's writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is his dear friend and, and kind of a, a child figure for him, uh, his son of the faith. And he's writing to Timothy with a list of final instructions uh, of how the church is, is to flourish once Paul is gone. Paul's concern here is, is almost completely on this, this focus of, of how is the church going to, to flourish? What do I need to tell the church before I don't have any more time left? And in this short passage, Paul gives three illustrations uh, based off of three different vocations uh, that, that he's, he's using to try to get this point across to Timothy about how he is, Timothy, how he is to faithfully endure in the midst of hardship. How is he to faithfully endure in the gospel? How is he to faithfully endure in the ministry that God has called him to when he experiences hardship? And I think it's a, it's a, it's a happy coincidence that, that one of the illustrations Paul uses is that of an athlete. And we're here on what is arguably the, the largest sporting day of the American calendar. And, and Paul is talking about athletes and, and how we can use them as an example of how, of, of how we are supposed to live our faith. And I, uh, I didn't wear my Kansas City Chiefs jersey this morning. I thought that would be a little too on the nose, but I, I do think that there is a, a lot of parallels here that we can draw this morning. So here's Paul. He's, he's writing to Timothy and he's charging Timothy to faithfully endure in the midst of the hardship that he is going to experience. And this hardship is stuff that that oftentimes comes with the territory of following Jesus. In fact, if we were to sum up Paul's main point in this text, it is simply this, faithfully endure the hardship that comes with following Jesus. Faithfully endure the hardship that comes with your commitment to Jesus. And following Jesus, it comes with hardship. I don't think any of us are unaware of that. It's not new information for us. And so Paul is is writing to Timothy and he's saying, if you want to faithfully endure, if you want to be faithful in your commitment to Jesus, you want to be faithful in the mission that he has given to you as his follower, then you need to weather the storms of hardship when they come your way. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean persecution. I think that's important for us to recognize. Sometimes it does mean persecution. Sometimes it is referring to these snide comments that, uh, that we hear from others in the school hallways or in the uh, office Christmas parties or all the way up to death as many Christians across the globe experience. But I don't think that's the only hardship that Paul is referring to here. Hardship comes with the territory of following Jesus, and sometimes that just means being obedient to Jesus is very costly. If there's one thing that really stuck out to me as we worked our way through the Gospel of Mark uh, in our last sermon series, it was that. That following Jesus is costly, and he doesn't want us to have any illusion about that. He wants us to very clearly see that we are going to have to give things up if we are going to be his followers. That following him 
oftentimes comes with hardship because it means that we have to give up things that other people don't have to give up. It means that our finances look different than those who are around us. It means that our free time looks different than those who are around us. Hardship comes with the territory of following Jesus. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's encouraging him, he's encouraging all of us to faithfully endure. To faithfully endure in the midst of hardship. Don't try to avoid it. Don't let it catch you off guard. Don't succumb to the pressure. Faithfully endure. And as we look at this text, we're going to see that Paul gives three commands. Uh, three commands on how we are to faithfully endure. So we're going to walk our way through this text this morning and look at these three different commands that Paul gives us. Um, if you have a Bible, I invite you to, to follow along as I read aloud, starting 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's a, such an appropriate way to, to end that text and, and honestly begin our time looking at this text. That statement there, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So let's, let's pause and ask for the Lord to give us understanding. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, even as, as Paul writes here at the end of this passage, um, we ask that you would give us understanding that that's true every time we gather around your word. It's not just this text, but we ask that you would help us to be a people who drink slowly from your word so that you can give us understanding that we can see because your spirit gives us eyes to see. Not only understanding, we don't want just a, a right interpretation of this text, but we want to be a people who are transformed daily in obedience to your word. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We ask that you would bless this time in it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul gives three commands. I mentioned three commands. He actually gives four commands. Uh, the, the last one is right there in verse 7 where he's talking about think. That's the, the fourth command here. Uh, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And uh, I'll, I'll just kind of put my cards on the table here. This is a really uh, important, um, almost painful reminder for me this morning because uh, this passage was the first passage that I preached in seminary. And it was, to this day, the worst sermon I have ever preached, this text that we're looking at this morning. And, and Lord willing, I will never top that one with how bad it was. And I remember that day really well because I got done with that... <laughs> I didn't need anyone to tell me how bad it was, but I got done, and, and I just thought to myself, man, that was bad. And then I also thought to myself, someday I'm going to get a, a chance to preach this passage again. So lucky you, right? Um, and I, I remember saying, God, uh, that, that last statement, that last verse there, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Uh, that's my prayer. As I, as I look at this text, that's not just true of this text, it's, it's true of every time we open the Bible that we desperately need the Holy Spirit 
to come and be the one to, to give us understanding. And, and not just, again, not just understanding, but also to empower us to live out the truth of this passage and every passage as we open the Bible. And that empowering through the Holy Spirit is, is what Paul starts with in verse 1 as he's talking about this first command on how to faithfully endure. I want to read verse 1 for us again. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul has just spent most of chapter 1, he's, he's telling Timothy about his suffering. He's telling him about the reality of the hardship that he is experiencing for the gospel. He has implored Timothy, don't turn your back on the gospel, hold fast, endure. And now we get to this moment where it's like, well, how? How do I endure? How do I hold fast to the gospel? How do I not turn my back on the gospel? And that's his answer here in verse 1. Find strength for enduring hardship in the gospel. Find strength for enduring hardship in the gospel. You want to know where we can find our strength to, to face whatever comes our way because of Jesus, it is in the gospel. And I find the grammar of this passage really fascinating. That's probably the only time you'll ever hear that. The grammar of this, this passage, this verse is really fascinating because he starts with this command. This is a command saying, I want you to do this, Timothy. But then you look at the command and it is a passive command. It's, it's not, I want you to strengthen yourself or I want you to be strong. He says, be strengthened. Well, who is the one who is strengthening Timothy? Paul gives us the answer a few verses later in First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power or the strength of God. You will not endure hardship that comes with following Jesus just by this resolve to, to do it, to, to, to weather the storms. You're not going to endure suffering by this pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of mentality. You're not going to face the hardship of costly obedience by trying harder. God is the one who gives us the strength to endure. God doesn't just save us by grace and then kind of leave us to fend for ourselves. He saves us by the grace of the gospel, and then he sustains us with that exact same grace in the gospel. That's where this command that, that Paul is giving Timothy, this thing that, that Timothy is supposed to do while God is doing something to him, comes into play. He says, I want you to, to fix your eyes, focus, turn your attention to the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Look to the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. Look to the gospel. Look, what, look at what Jesus has done for you. Look at who Jesus is. Look at his love for you. And when you do that, when your gaze is fixed on him, then you will find the strength to endure any hardship. Without the gospel, we are rudderless. And yet with the gospel, when it is always before us, when we are always focused on Jesus, when we have our gaze set upon him, then we have the strength to endure to the end. Find strength for enduring hardship by dwelling on the grace of Jesus, by dwelling on the gospel. And it's that gospel that, that Paul talks about in his second command in verse 2. He's, he's talking about the importance of the gospel, not just for us, but for the future church. Verse 2. 
And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here is, is Paul, and he's telling Timothy that faithful endurance includes this charge to concern yourself with the future generations of the church. And trust the gospel to others for the sake of the church. And trust the gospel and trust the things that you have heard from me to others, these faithful men, by extension women, these faithful women as well. This is a profound picture. As Paul is writing to Timothy, he's saying that the key to endurance, not just for us, but the key to endurance for the church to make it through generation after generation after generation is to invest our lives into the lives of future church leaders. I love this verse. It is a verse that, that just I cling tight to. Do you notice there's four generations that Paul mentions here? First, we have Paul. Paul has invested his life into the life of Timothy. What he's saying is what you have heard from me. Remember, this isn't just academic instruction. Paul and Timothy, they've ministered together for years. Timothy has learned to pray by watching Paul pray. He's learned to preach by watching Paul preach. He's learned how to apply the gospel into hard situations by watching Paul apply the gospel into hard situations. He's seen how to endure hardship for the gospel by watching Paul endure hardship for the gospel. And Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, I've entrusted the gospel into your hands. That's the second generation, Timothy, here. But Paul wants Timothy to not just stop with that. He, he says, Timothy, now, now it's your turn. Timothy, I want you to find faithful men, and I want you to entrust the gospel to them as well. What does Paul have in mind when he, when he talks about these faithful men? Remember the context here. People are aban abandoning Paul because of his suffering, because of his hardship, but not everyone. And there are some that, that may, not, may not be mature, but they have the right hearts. They have the right character, and that's something that's, that's unteachable. And so Paul says, I want you to find people like that, and I want you to invest your life into them so that way the church can endure. Paul has entrusted the gospel to Timothy. Timothy is, is to entrust that same gospel into faithful men. That's the third generation, and then the fourth generation, do you notice there at the very end of this passage, Paul further qualifies this. He says, I want you to find some faithful men. I want you to entrust the gospel to them. But I want them to be people who will also teach others. They will also pass on the gospel themselves. If the church has any chance of flourishing after I'm gone, after you're gone, Timothy, I want, we need someone to carry on the faith. We need this culture of disciple-making, generation after generation after generation of people pouring in to the next generation, investing in others, entrusting the gospel into their hands because they know that someday they're going to replace them. Someday, whatever your role is in the church, you will be replaced. And that's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. But it's a really bad thing if we're not intentionally entrusting the gospel into those who are of the next generation. 
if we're not being faithful in doing what Paul is charging Timothy to do right here. The, the, right, the key right here to a church that endures from generation to generation entrusting the gospel into the next generation. I'm just going to be real. Um, I don't think our church is great at this. This happens in our church, but it's, it's not intentional. It's not something that we do intentionally of entrusting the gospel into future leaders, those who will be a part of ministry in the future, who have the capacity to be a part of ministry right now. What would it look like if we took this to heart to entrust the gospel into the hands of those who will one day replace us? Paul continues, he's given us the key to endurance, the strength that comes by gazing at Jesus. He talks about endurance for the church and trusting the gospel to the next generation. And then he, he kind of hammers home what, what this endurance looks like. Verse 3 through 6 really all focus on the same thing. I want us to just look at, at verse 3 first. It says this, Share in suffering as a good, good soldier of Christ Jesus. So here is Paul. He's, he's writing from prison because he's, he's been faithful. He's, he's enduring to the end. And that has landed him in prison. And he says, what I want you to do, Timothy, is I want you to join me in suffering for the gospel. You've seen me suffer because I am faithful to the gospel. And if that means that you have to suffer for being faithful to the gospel, I want you to join me, share in my sufferings for the sake of the gospel. In other words, be faithful and enduring, suffering that you experience for the sake of Jesus. Now, to be clear, Paul isn't a masochist here. He, he, he doesn't have this mindset that he's telling Timothy, I want you to go out of your way. I want you to search out suffering and, and hardship. That's the key to honoring Jesus. He, that's, that's not his focus. He's not really all that concerned with suffering, even though he gives this command about suffering. What he's concerned about is faithfulness, even when that means suffering. Paul's concern is that Timothy would be faithful to Jesus and his life, Paul's life, is a, is a testament to, to this fact that if you are going to be faithful, it's going to involve hardship. It's going to involve suffering, either from literal persecution or because obedience is costly. And we see both of those in Paul's life. Now, Paul, he, he further elaborates on, on this suffering and what this faithfulness looks like. He uses three pictures from, from three different vocations to flesh out what faithfulness looks, at, looks like. I want us to just look at each in turn, these three illustrations that, that really, they're, they're different facets of, of what it looks like for us to be faithful in the midst of hardship. So we're going to look at each of these in turn. The first one is this singularly minded soldier. A singularly minded soldier, verses three and four. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So Paul asks Timothy, I want you to look at the soldier, this man whose, whose life is, is guided by this, this chief aim, and that is to please his commanding officer in this case, in, in Timothy's case. If we follow the metaphor, it's the same one who enlisted him, the Lord Jesus. And he urges Timothy 
to adopt this same mindset. Timothy, I want you to have a chief concern, and that is to please Jesus. And I want you to, to, to figure out what this looks like and what this means by, by looking at a soldier. Look at the one who, whose priorities are, are set by others, not by himself, but by his commanding officer, who doesn't get to set his own priorities, but instead follows orders. And in contrast to this singular focus, there is this lure of civilian pursuits. What does that mean? It says, I don't want you to get entangled by civilian pursuits, Timothy. So does that mean that we are to reject the world? Does that mean that we are wrong if we are watching the Super Bowl tonight when we could be out evangelizing or we could be praying? I think the best way to consider this singular focus is to consider the difference between a wartime mentality and a peacetime mentality that we've seen throughout our nation's history, specifically in World War II. World War II, a lot of, uh, of sacrifices as a national, on the national level, because of the singular commitment to victory. A lot of sacrifices were made. This wartime mentality permeated all of, uh, of our, our civilization. There's this book, it's by uh, James Bradley. He gives us a glimpse of this wartime mentality in his book, Flags of Our Fathers. He writes this, The entire nation seemed overnight to have snapped out of its Depression-era lethargy. Everyone scrambled to be of help. Rubber was needed for the war effort and gasoline and metal. A woman's basketball game at Northwestern University was stopped so that the referee and all 10 players could scour the floor for a lost bobby pin because metal was that important. Americans pitched in to support strict rationing programs, and their boys turned out as volunteers in various collection drives. Butter and milk were restricted along with canned goods and meat. Shoes became scarce, same with paper and silk. People grew victory gardens, and they drove at the gas-saving victory speed of 35 miles an hour. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. That was a popular slogan in that day. Air raid sirens and blackouts were scrupulously obeyed. Americans sacrificed. Now, people still went to the movies. People still had fun. They still enjoyed time with their family and their friends. They still had leisure time. But their chief concern was this singular pursuit of victory. And if anything came in the way of, of, of achieving that end, then they would do without. And all of life, all of the hardship, all of the struggle, all of it was weighed and considered through this lens of, will this help us achieve our goal, our commitment? And Paul, writing to Timothy, says, I want you to have that exact same mindset. Take up this this mindset of the good soldier be singularly focused on the mission that God has given you and be faithful to the gospel. He gives us a second illustration, verse 5, that of a rule-abiding athlete. Not just an athlete, but a rule-abiding one. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, another parts of the New Testament, when Paul uses uh, pictures from, from athletics, from sports, he, he uses it to stress the importance of discipline. 
Like 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about the importance of, of discipline, and he, he says, I want you to look to, to athletes and how disciplined they are. He's basically making a, a similar point as what he does in verses 3 and 4 here when he's talking about the soldier. Here he's got a slightly different focus. And we know it's a slightly different focus because he gives us, or he, he writes about something slightly different. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So to illustrate what Paul is saying, I want you to, to, to go back in time with me to um, Glenwood Cross Country Meet, Fall 2003, all right? If you're not familiar with Glenwood, um, Glenwood is in the, the Les Hells in, in southwest Iowa. I ran cross country when I was in high school, and I was not good at it, uh, to say the least. And this course was always the, the last weekend of August, and so it was super hot, and it was super hilly, and it had a lot of turns because of the terrain. And that's going to come into play here in a few seconds. So uh, I was a sophomore in 2003. I had ran this course before, and um, uh, the race starts, and it's maybe 800 meters in, half, half mile in, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, we're into this race, and, and I get tripped. I, I, maybe I tripped. I'm going to say I got tripped because it makes me feel better. I, I fell down, and thankfully I didn't get trampled. So there's a good reason why it's okay to be at the back of the pack as opposed to the front of the pack. And, uh, and I fall down, and it takes me a while to get up. Maybe I was just sulking. But I, uh, man, I really got to keep running after this. I get up, and I'm in last place. What's worse is right where I fell, about 10 feet in front of me, is this T. And there's a trail that goes to the left, my left, and there's a trail that goes to the right. And then they also turn again, like five yards after that. So, so I can't see anyone on either path. Now, I said I, I had run this race the year prior, and the pre previous year, the, the trail went to the left. And so I'm like, all right, well, I, I get up, and I, I start running. I, I go to the left, and I, start, I just start sprinting because I don't want to be in last place. I'm like, all right, I'm going to catch people, and then I'll slow down. And I start sprinting, and I don't see anyone. The only people I see are some spectators that are inconsiderately walking on the course, which was a big no-no in cross-country. I should have sunk in at that moment what was happening. This happens for a mile. I'm running, and I'm not catching anyone, and I'm just getting frustrated and even madder and madder as this is going on. And finally, after about a mile, I just stop, and, and I just, like, I, I got to ask someone. And I find a spectator, and I'm like, where is everyone? Am I that slow? And they, they look at me and they're like, well, this isn't the trail. This isn't the course. The course is a mile back that way. You've got to be kidding me. And, and he laughs at me. And I mean, later on, I mean, I laugh now too. But in that moment, it's just like, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe this. And he says, but, but instead, of, uh, instead of it just being a mile back that way, it also catches up in about 400 meters. Like, so I had, a, I had a decision I had to make. On the one hand... I could turn around and run a mile back and then have to run the next two and a half miles of this race. Or I could just say, ah, forget it and take the shortcut and go forward 400 yards. And uh, I, I, I said, oh, I'll forget it. I don't care. And cut forward and uh, run for another 400 yards. Uh, I get into this clearing and at long last I finally see other people. 
The bad news is uh, I somehow must have been in like this weaving routes because they only ran about 800 yards and I run a, a mile. And so I still had another two plus miles to run. I finished the, I finished the race and uh, worst time I've ever recorded. Um, in my defense, I, I think I ran 25% further than anyone else. And, and I just, I, I, yeah. But what if when I burst into that clearing, I wasn't still at the place where I should be, but I had found a shortcut. And all of these other runners, they have been running the, the race that has been set before them. And I burst into the clearing and I'm right in front of the finish line and I cut right in front of the person who's supposed to be in first place and I'm the first one to cross the, the line. What would happen? I'd be disqualified, right? I'd be disqualified and that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. I, I'd found a shortcut. I'd, I'd jumped to the, to the front of the race. I might not have, have meant it. It wasn't malicious or intentional, but I cheated. And I didn't deserve to win first place in that moment. I would have been disqualified. And Paul, he's, he's writing to Timothy, and he's talking about this race of the Christian life, and he's made it abundantly clear that, Timothy, if you're, if you're going to be faithful, that might mean suffering. That might mean hardship. And that is essential. You can't attain the crown of glory if you're going to stop being faithful. And so here's Paul. He's urging Timothy, he's urging all of us not to be disqualified when hardship comes. Not to be disqualified when suffering comes. To not turn our backs on the gospel, but instead to be faithful. To follow the rules. To remain steadfast. To endure even when suffering comes for the sake of Jesus. Be a rule-abiding athlete. Third illustration, a long toiling farmer. A long toiling farmer. Verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. This word here that's behind our phrase, hardworking, it doesn't just describe hard work, it certainly does describe hard work. It's, it's a word that describes someone who has worked so hard that they are at the point of exhaustion. Who has poured so much of themselves into their work that weariness sinks into every fiber of their being. This is the farmer who works nonstop during planting season or during harvest. This is, this is the farmer who is, is waiting for a shipment of livestock and they, it's going to arrive in the middle of the night, so they stay up all night waiting for it. And then when it comes, they, they still work the next day. Paul is, is writing to Timothy and he says, you know what, this is the type of hard work that, that will be required of you if you are going to remain faithful to Jesus. Timothy, do you know what it means to faithfully endure in the gospel? Then it means that you have to look at the long-toiling farmer. You have to look at this hard work that it's going to take to live out faithfulness in your life. Live out the mission that God has given you in your life. That's what endurance 
looks like be faithful in enduring suffering for the sake of Jesus. And that means having this singular mindset like the soldier. This wartime mentality solely focused on this mission that has been given to you. Having your priorities your entire life structured around this mission. It means being a rule-abiding athlete in this competition, not avoiding suffering, not avoiding hardship, trying to take a shortcut to get to the finish line, but, but following Jesus and not being disqualified. And it means to, to work hard, to toil hard like a farmer, working for the mission that God has given to us. And this is hard work. To be faithful and to endure is hard work. And it's really easy to ask, because this work is so hard, because of this hardship, it is really easy for us to ask, is this even worth it? Is this even worth it? And that's not an unchristian question to ask. When you consider the fact that, that Jesus says you need to die to yourself if you are going to follow me. When you consider the fact that sometimes you are going to have to sacrifice your selfishness so that way you can follow the servant king. That costs a lot. And Jesus, he's, he's talking to his disciples. He says, this isn't a wrong question for you to ask. In fact, it's a necessary one for you to ask. He's talking to his disciples about the cost of following him in Luke. And he says this, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not at first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So here is Jesus, and he says that this question, is it worth it? Not only is it an okay question to ask, it's a, it's a necessary question that we all have to wrestle with. Is following Jesus worth it? If this life of following Jesus is one of, of faithful endurance in the midst of hardship, is it worth it? Paul gives us three answers, three motivations in each of his illustrations that he gives us here, he gives us a motivation. First one, verse four. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So here is, is Paul, and he's saying that the singular focus of this soldier is to please his enlisting officer. And the implication of that is that our motivation is the pleasure of our commanding officer. In other words, why are we obedient? Why do we faithfully endure? It's because it pleases Jesus. It, it puts a smile on Jesus' face. As the people of God, the smile of Jesus should be our greatest delight. And the frown of Jesus should be our greatest sorrow. And Paul is, is writing to Timothy and he said, I want you to endure and I want you to, to have in your mind this truth, this radical truth that when you are faithful, Jesus is pleased. When you endure hardship, Jesus is saying, well done. 
When you go through hard times, when you suffer for the gospel, Jesus has a smile on his face. Is there a greater joy than the smile of Jesus for his people? That's the first motivation. The second one is found in verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now here's, here's the good news as I read this text. Who is it that gets the crown? If we look at verse 5, who is it that gets this crown? An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Tonight, at the Super Bowl, only one team will receive the crown, right? Only one team will be declared the victor, and that's the team that wins. As I read this text, I don't see anything about victory. All I see is following the rules. For Jesus, it doesn't matter where you finish. It doesn't matter if you cross the finish line in a blaze of glory and obedience to him. Or if you are someone who is just limping across the finish line because you constantly struggle with temptation, it seems like every single day it's two steps forward and then three steps back as you are trying to be obedient, trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, the one who will be crowned is not the first ten people, but those who are faithful and don't, endure, no, don't avoid hardship but remain faithful to me. This crown, I think Revelation gives us some insight. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. This picture of, of a crown is one that is oftentimes used in the New Testament when we suffer hardship. And not only are we motivated by the smile of Jesus, we're also motivated by the crown of life. This crown that God will give to us. Jesus uses this imagery in the New Testament to comfort his people as they suffer, as they face hardship, to say, even if you lose your life for following me, I will give you life eternal. I will give you the crown of life. Why endure? Well, according to this text, it's for the crown of life. One more motivation in verse 6. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Why do we endure? Well, according to this verse, it's so we can have the first share of the crops. What exactly does that mean? I think in the context of, of 2 Timothy, as, as Paul is, is reflecting upon his life, he, he's talking about not just the crown of life, but he's also talking about our obedience, our faithfulness, guaranteeing us this heavenly reward. A heavenly reward. Sometimes, I think uh, our ch the church, I shouldn't project. I think a lot of times in my own life, I can read passages of the New Testament that talk about a reward. And I can, I can feel a little uncomfortable about them. Because salvation is a reward enough in its own. Being with Jesus is reward enough of its own. And if I were really actually spiritual, I wouldn't need all of these other motivations that are talked about here. 
In fact, if, if we are, are trying to be obedient to Jesus because of the prospect of reward, I can sometimes think, well, man, that's, that's taking my mind off of God and instead I'm starting to focus on selfish things. But Jesus doesn't have a problem with it. Jesus doesn't have a problem with using rewards, the prospect of rewards in heaven, as a motivation for obedience. He's talking to his disciples about suffering, and he says this, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Paul, elsewhere, he talks about the motivation of reward as well. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages or his reward according to his labor. Hebrews even goes as far as saying that, that Moses... One of the key factors for him in his obedience was the prospect of a reward. Hebrews chapter 11, he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. Why should we faithfully endure? Why should we be obedience today. It's because the reward that we will receive for that obedience in the new creation is great. That's not to say that, that we can save ourselves or we earn our salvation through our obedience here. We receive the crown of life through the grace of the gospel by what Jesus has done for us. But at the same time, it is equally true that there are some here in this room, there are some who are watching online who will have a greater reward for all eternity because of their greater obedience here. And isn't that a great motivation? It's not, I, I, I think it's David Platt who says this isn't being radical as much as it is just being smart. It's not so much radical as it is just having the right perspective to sow obedience now so that we can reap greater reward, delight, joy, happiness forevermore. Faithfully endure the hardship that comes with your commitment to Jesus. Faithfully endure. We do so by turning our eyes to the gospel where we find our strength. We do so by entrusting the gospel to others to, to help the church flourish after we are gone. We do so by enduring until, until Jesus returns for us. And we do it because it puts a smile on his face. Because we will receive the crown of life. And because our reward in heaven will be great. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 25. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be faithful, to endure when we are faced with hardship, 
to remain faithful to you. To continually gaze upon you for the strength to endure. To run to you in the midst of hardship. Trusting in you that you will reward us, that you are pleased. And God, there is no greater gift than faithfulness to you. God, help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.